Guys, you guys are amazing. Is the band good or what? They're pretty good. They're pretty good. But guys, go ahead and grab your Bible. Open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is week four of our study through this just extremely relevant, really just timely letter that the Apostle Paul wrote titled the 1 Corinthians. All right, And we're really excited about this journey that we're taking on that's going to take us to the better part of, of August. But if you're new to Docs, I want to welcome you again. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's honestly just great to, to have you part of our family gathering today. But if you are new, kind of one of our, our propensity as a church as we gather like this is we kind of just open up the Bible and go through book by book, kind of verse by verse, just trying to hear from God. And then by his presence and power in our life, we respond to that, thereby becoming the men and women that he has created us to be. And so if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one, okay? So if you want to take this journey with us, on your way out of the auditorium on your left is the welcome space. There's a wall full of Bibles. You can grab a Bible or two for your family and follow along through 1 Corinthians with us. But before I jump in, I also want to say hi to everybody online. Like our Docs of Family is not just here in this room for these services, but there's some of you that, that are online and we say this all the time and I keep saying it, but I want you to really hear me is that we miss you a ton. Yeah, as we gather like this as the Doxa family, it's not the same without you. We haven't forgotten about you. We pray for you often, and we really cannot wait for you guys to be back with us, but we're grateful for technology that you can gather with us like this. So hi to you guys at home. Hope you're warm. You didn't have to shovel your driveway this morning, so I'm a little bit jealous of that, okay? So here we go. By way of introduction, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let me just kind of refresh you on where we're at, what's going on throughout this book. But we learned about this week one, that Corinth is just this metropolitan city. It's, it's growing rapidly in population, but also wealth. And so as you study cultures, you know that when that happens, there tends to be an increase in immorality and just moral and social decline. And this is what was happening in Corinth. But as the population and the wealth were growing rapidly, there emerged essentially two classes of people. You had an upper class that was embracing and living out of the culture of the Corinthian people, but then you had this emerging lower class following this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And as these two classes of people grew simultaneously and rapidly, they eventually collided. But when they collided, they didn't just bounce off each other and become two very separate groups. Instead, something very interesting happened in Corinth, is that they collided, but then they began to overlap. And many of the people, many of the Christians in Corinth were then living in the overlap. And so what that meant is that they lost some of their distinctiveness, that they started kind of adopting the ways of the Corinthian culture. And Paul is writing to this church to confront them on living in the overlap, where so many Christians today, we tend to live a lot of times. The overlap between like Christ and culture, and this led to so many issues in the Corinthian church. All right, so this church in Corinth, they were drifting away from Jesus, they were drifting away from his teachings, and they were just being influenced by what Paul is calling the wisdom of the world. We've been talking about this the last several weeks, but if we're all honest, when we think about like the wisdom of the world, I think that even the most spiritually mature among us, there are times where we are more influenced by the thoughts and the practices of our world than the words and the works and the ways of Jesus. And that's true of every single one of us. That's true of, of me. And for this church in Corinth, the wisdom of the world had drifted into their way of thinking and living so much so that these people who were in fact Christians, 
They forgot about what was most important in life. The gospel, the glory of God, it's, it's Jesus. And as they forgot about Jesus, their faith, their practices, their lives began to change and they were just drifting away from God. And so as we get into this today, we're gonna see Paul do a few different things. First, he's gonna define for us like what the wisdom of the world is. And then he's gonna show us how it's just like crazy for Christians to fall into this way of thinking and living. And then he's gonna talk about the greatness and the goodness of God and how that impacts us today. Uh, Before that though, I want you to look at the screen, okay? Does anybody know what this is a picture of? Not that. Is there a slide? There we go. Does anybody, as soon as you see it, all right, just yell it out. Does anybody know what it is? You gotta think really hard about this. Nobody? This is actually called a a stereogram, okay? Has anybody ever seen these 3D images that if you look at it long enough and cross your eyes that like a a, a picture emerges? You guys, how many of you can't do it? Yeah, there's a bunch of cross-eyed, like, look, uh, right? But this is called a stereogram. And and if you, this, my story with this, okay? Like this became big when I was in junior high. These pictures started going everywhere. But believe it or not, this is actually a picture of a tricycle, right? There's There's a tricycle in there. But I remember when I first encountered these, these pictures, you might want to take that down because no one's going to pay attention to me. They're just going to be staring at that, right? I'm like, no one, here, right? But I remember like when I first encountered these, junior high, I walk in, they would bring in vendors to our school and they would fill the cafeteria. And the first time I, my mom dropped me off, I walk in, I see the cafeteria, it's got these pictures, and I just see people standing there, just like not moving, not blinking, just staring. And I'm like... This is why my mom tells me not to do drugs. I get it now, okay? But I, I'm, I'm watching them, and so I, I walk in there, and I, and I go up to this picture where there's a group of students standing around, and I was like, hey, like, what, are you, what are you looking at? And they're like, it's amazing, isn't it? And I'm like, well, what is it? They're like, it's a gorilla flying a kite. And I'm like, okay, hey, where did, who did you buy that stuff that you smoked before school? Because I want to stay away from that guy, right? But I just couldn't see it. And it was just like, they were just captivated. And I use this illustration because when it comes to these types of pictures, guys, you have people who can see and people who can't see. I was standing in the same place as other people looking at the exact same picture as they were, but I couldn't see what they saw. They saw something amazing. They saw something that just captivated them and they were just blown away. I was looking at the same picture and I just saw nonsense. I saw a waste of time. And this is how it is in our world today when it comes to Jesus and his gospel. That there are some people who see. Christians, you look at the cross of Jesus, you hear the gospel, and and it moves you, it captivates you, it brings about worship, wonder, awe, and praise, it changes your life completely. But then you have other people on the same street, maybe in the same house, in the same apartment complex, that they're looking at the same thing, And they think it's just a joke. It's just complete foolishness. This happens in our world. This is what Paul is going to talk about today. In 1 Corinthians 2, he's going to help us learn about how the cross of Jesus is revealed in glory and the things that keep people from truly seeing what God has done in and through the cross. So let's get into this. Verse 6, chapter 2. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. 
All right, now I'll just pause here because if you remember back to the last couple weeks, up until this point, Paul has spent time talking about how foolish the gospel message is, how foolish the cross is, but he doesn't want to leave his listeners and he doesn't want us to be thinking that the gospel truly is foolish. And so what he says is he's, he's saying the, the cross, the gospel is foolishness to some people, but then he says we do actually speak a wisdom. Now look back. We speak this wisdom although... It is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except for the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, and we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the first thing that we need to understand is what Paul means by the wisdom of the world. All right, look back to verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart a wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. All right, he talks about the wisdom of the age, the rulers of this age, and this is where we need to ask questions when we come to the Bible. Right, because Paul is say, talking about the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of this age, and he's saying it's uniquely tied to these rulers. And so we have to figure out, like, who are these worldly rulers? Because if we can understand who these worldly rulers are, maybe we can learn something about the wisdom of the world that is influencing and causing so much destruction in Corinth. But he shows us this in verse 8, who these people are that he's referring to. Look at verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All right, so these rulers that, that Paul is referring to are the people who were in control when Jesus was killed. These are the people who killed Jesus. They're involved with this. And we know historically speaking from both sources inside and outside of the Bible that these are groups of people like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews. This is Pontius Pilate. This is the Sanhedrin, right? These groups of people that were around. And quick fun fact, I don't know if I've told you this, but whenever I come across, Ronnie, do you know what I'm going to talk about? Whenever I come across the word Sanhedrin, I remember meeting Ronnie Goebel as a, he was a freshman, just started following Jesus and reading his Bible. And I remember we were meeting in the second floor of the student union at Bowling Green State University. And he was like, what is this Sanhedrin? Is this like a big dragon? Or like, are these people afraid of him? And I was like, not quite a dragon, but maybe close. But guys, God is real and Ronnie has grown so much. And now he's a great Bible teacher. So praise the Lord. So, but here's what you need to know. This dragon, no, not the dragon, okay? All of these people, these rulers of the age had something in common that blinded them from the glory of God and kept them from truly seeing. And their commonality is how they approached life and viewed the world. See, all of them were really operating out of a worldview of, of self, that they were all about maintaining control, gaining power, having recognition, that really they just wanted to be glorified. It was a very egocentric view of life where they were just existing for their self-glory, comfort, and good. It's not that different from many people today, right? I mean, if we're honest, like this is something that we can fall into, that we live in a very egocentric world and we're taught this all of the time. 
We're bombarded with it by social media and we're literally, it just becomes who we are. Now here's what I want you to see. All right, in John's gospel, he talks about something very similar. All right, and in John 12, 42, John is talking about the unbelief of people, people who are blinded to the glory of God, specifically the rulers of the world. And here's what John says. He says, nevertheless, many of them, many of the authorities believed in him, meaning that they, they saw the historical man, Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, that they didn't really see him for who he was so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And not here, verse 43, I want you to look at this. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And so you have these, these rulers, these people, they, they believe in Jesus, meaning that they're, like, they see Jesus, they see all he does, but they don't really see him for all that he is. Maybe they see him as a, as a good man, but maybe not quite the God man, as is evidenced by their fear of following him in a public way. And so they see him, but they don't really see. They're like me in the cafeteria. I, I see the picture, but I don't see the gorilla flying the kite. They're seeing, but not really seeing. They don't see in a way that changes their lives and motivates their actions. And so these people, they see Jesus, but they don't confess him. And to confess Jesus means to recognize him as God, to follow him as God, to come to him as God, to submit to him as God, to worship him as God, thus receiving eternal life. But hear this, this is so important. Because because these people were so consumed with themselves and they loved the glory of man more than the glory of God, they never confessed Jesus. And they were distant. And here's where we learn about the wisdom of the world and what it's all about. All right? This wisdom that Paul is addressing and exists in our world today is a wisdom that causes people to exist for their own glory rather than the glory of God. And I just want you to know that when we live our lives with what I'll call like glory inversion, we get into all kinds of problems. Just like this church in Corinth, and we distance ourselves from God because truthfully, guys, it's all about the glory of God. I mean, everything in our world was made by God for our good to, to be enjoyed, but ultimately to point us back to him and to see how glorious he actually is. Even the things that, that men and women that we discover and we create, this is all going back to the glory of God because God gave us like, the abilities and the intellect to be able to do that. It's all about the glory of God. This is why we named our church Doxa Church. Doxa means glory. It's all about him, it's not about us. But because of sin, humanity, every single one of us, we, we don't naturally look to God in his glory, but we invert it because we're consumed with ourselves in our own glory. And for me, guys, I'll be honest, this is why it took so long for me to come to Jesus. I saw him, but I didn't really see him. Like I heard of Jesus, but was really blind to his significance because I was obsessed with my own glory and my own interests. And so I lived my life, my way, doing my thing, answering to nobody, and I was just marching straight towards hell, which is just the eternal separation from God. Some of you are in that place, that you come to church, you, you kinda see Jesus, but you don't really see him, you, you don't confess him because you love your glory more than his. Like maybe you see and hear about Jesus and you view him as just like a great historical man but not the God man. Maybe you see Jesus and hear the gospel and you want all that he gives 
but you don't want to give up all that he hates, your sin. You enjoy that. And by doing this, you just keep yourself stuck in sin, separated from God. Because the only thing that can take your sin is Jesus, the Lord of glory. It's not church, it's not knowledge, it's not all the earthly, worldly wisdom, it's the glory of God, it's, it's Jesus. And for me, the longest time, I didn't realize it, all right? That it's not just about me hearing and seeing Jesus and changing the way that I live, but it's about me coming to him and following him in faith, asking him to take my sin. This is what salvation and heaven and eternal security is all about. And one of the prime reasons that Doxa Church exists, why I'm up here today, is just to help you to save you from yourself, to save you from sin, to save you from hell, that you could see this, praying that God would just open your eyes and you would truly see today. Because my story, God in his goodness, he kept pursuing me and finally opened up my eyes to see his glory and not just mine. And this is what changed my life. That he opened up my eyes and I saw the gospel. He helped me see my sin, my need for a savior. Some of you are in that place right now. God keeps bringing you back here on Sundays. He keeps bringing you to connection groups and your eyes are beginning to be opened. Maybe you don't quite get it yet. It, it hasn't clicked, but there's something that you're just drawn back to. And if that's you, guys, let me just say this to you. You're close. You're so close. If you desire that, if that's like your heart's desire that God would just help you to see and to understand, ask him. Ask him to do it. Ask him to truly let you see because that will change your life. It will change your eternity. Ask him to help you to see and understand the gospel today. The wisdom of this world keeps people from truly seeing Jesus and the way to salvation and eternal life. And this is what Paul is helping us to understand. Now look again what Paul says about this in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart a wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. All right, so in addition to helping us understand what the wisdom of the world is, he wants us to know that the wisdom of the world is passing away and it's of no eternal significance at all. And we can live out of the wisdom of this world that says to kind of look out for your own interest and do whatever to makes you happy and find your own truth and define yourself and do all that. But Paul says at the end of life as we know it, it's nothing. It's nothing. And this affects all of us, guys. I want to show you just a, a picture of, of how the wisdom of the world can kind of sneak into my life, okay? There's going to be a picture that comes up here, I think, again. There we go. Have you guys ever heard of this? You, you read this? You've heard this slogan? The man who dies with the one who dies with the most toys wins? Okay, this is kind of something that I was like raised on. My dad had it in, on posters in our garage, a sticker on his toolbox. But this is kind of like the wisdom of the world. Get stuff, get your life filled with a bunch of things. This will bring fulfillment in everything you possibly need. And so for me, like I like things. I like nice things. And when it comes to money, you know, some people struggle with hoarding it and burying it in their yard and all that stuff. I, it's not my issue, okay? I'm more like I want to buy stuff and spend money. And if you were to come up to me like after the service and say, Rob, how can I be fulfilled and happy? Like I would undoubtedly point you to the gospel and say that it's Jesus. But the wisdom of the world sneaks into my life and tempts me to find it in things. And I know that it's all about Jesus. But just like the Corinthians, this worldly thinking and wisdom is so sneaky that it slips in and it takes my eyes off Jesus where life is truly found and all about. And I see this manifested in other ways with people. 
You know, for example, many of you here in this room or online right now, you're, you're single. And while you, you know Jesus and love Jesus, you begin to think at times like I'm missing something bigger. And you know what I really need to be happy and content and fulfilled is a husband or a wife. That will truly make me happy. And while you know that Jesus is the only one, you know that, the wisdom of the world begins to sneak in and says that you actually need more. And it takes your eyes off of Jesus and you begin to drift and pursue those other things. This is what was the Corinthians were doing. Others of you, it's not money, it's not relationships, but it's this political season. That while you know that Jesus is king and he rules over all and he's in control of all, the wisdom of the world can sneak in and tell you, actually, it's really about a political party. It's actually really about that man. He's the savior. We need to get rid of the other and you And you get twisted up in your mind. It takes your eyes off of Jesus and puts it on a man. This is exactly what's going on in Corinth. They've lost sight of the glory of God. And this leads people away from God. And Paul says that the only remedy for this, the only remedy for the problems in Corinth and sin in our life is the wisdom of God. So the wisdom of the world is this self-gratifying, egocentric wisdom and worldview. But what is the wisdom of God? We talked about it in chapter one. Right? If you look back to verses 21 through 23, Paul says the wisdom of God is Christ crucified. It's Christ crucified. It's, it's Jesus. Now, there's an issue with this, okay? Here's the issue as it relates to the wisdom of God. If you look at verse seven of chapter two, Paul says this, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul says, the wisdom of God is clearly seen in the crucifixion of Jesus, but it's hidden and secretive. And what he's saying is that there are people who will look at the crucifixion of Jesus. They will hear the gospel, they will learn of the love of God, and they will hear and see all of that, but they won't really hear or see or understand any of it. And this is what happened around Jesus. The rulers of this age, they, they saw Jesus, they heard Jesus say, I'm God. He says, I take away the sins of the world, I do miracles among you to show you that I'm God, but the rulers of this age didn't see it like that and they killed him. And as Paul is writing this, this is actually his testimony. Because you remember Paul's story, right? We know that for much of his life, he, he hated Jesus and he did his best to persecute Christians and have them locked up and killed. That he saw Jesus, but not for who he truly was. He saw Jesus as a man who like threatened his way of life, but not the God man that came to save his life. But then Acts chapter nine happens. You remember our study through the book of Acts last year? God opens up his eyes and his perspective of God, Jesus, his life, everything is just radically changed. And Paul goes from like a persecutor of the church to a pastor of many churches. But again, why? Why did this happen? Why was this radical shift for Paul? It's the wisdom of God that Jesus took Paul's sin, the Holy Spirit opened Paul's eyes and everything changed for him. Doxa, in the world's eyes, Jesus is seen as irrelevant and foolish and really to accept him by faith is really just to commit like intellectual suicide. But Paul is saying, 
that like an iceberg that conceals its depths far beneath the surface, only those whom God calls and gives faith can see the hidden depth and wisdom and truth inherent in the Christian faith. Look at what he says in verse nine. But as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. I want you to underline this next part. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, and I want you to underline this next part, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept these things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. All right, Paul says that some people are unable to understand the cross, to delight in Jesus and to see the truth of the gospel because it's only through the Holy Spirit that someone can see Jesus for who he really is. This is what he says in verse 11, if you look. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Okay, so when you and I look at each other, like I don't know what you're thinking. And you don't know what I'm thinking. All right, you can't just like look at somebody and like know their thoughts. And the same is true. We don't know God's thoughts. God's thoughts are not like open to us. We, we don't naturally know the truths of God on our own. But when God the Holy Spirit opens our eyes... We no longer see through the lens of the wisdom of the world, but through God's wisdom. And when this happens, God allows us to understand his thoughts and his truths about the world and our lives and death and life and sex and marriage and family and everything. And for those of you who are Christians, maybe you've had the same experience I did. You know, for the majority of my life, I mean, I just thought Christianity was ridiculous. I started reading the Bible in college and I thought the whole concept of Jesus being God, taking away the sins of the world, the only way to eternal life, all of that, I just thought it was like literally Looney Tunes. Crazy. For years. And then one day, like I can't even really just explain it to you, but it just happened. God the Holy Spirit just changed my mind and my heart. And I can't, I really can't fully explain that to you. But all of a sudden I was like, I get it. Like I see, I see the tricycle now, Jesus. Like I get it, I love Jesus. And, and I remember seeing Jesus totally different. And what this means is that you will have friends and family and coworkers that are not Christians. And it's not because they're stupid, it's because they're blind. It's not because you figured it out and you're more spiritual. It's because God opened your eyes through the Spirit. Do you understand? Like, does that make you thankful? God did it. And so it doesn't matter. It's not that you've done a bad job pointing it out to people, that they don't get it. It's because they can't see what you're even pointing to. And so very practically, Christians, let me talk to you, is you should not get mad and angry and frustrated when people don't understand our Jesus. You need to love them. We need to love them. We need to be patient. We need to pray for them, that God would open their eyes. And we should ask questions and we should help to answer their questions. But above all, we need to be praying 
Because doxa is a miracle where the Holy Spirit opens our blind eyes, softens our hard hearts, and changes our rebellious nature, allowing us to see Jesus for who he is. It's a gift. It's grace. It's only God that does that. And so pray for your friends. Pray for your family members. Pray for your coworkers. Love them and ask that God would just soften their hearts and that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes and unblock their ears. It's only through the work of God that we will see and understand Jesus and the mystery of the gospel. And so let me do this. I want to end today with a picture of the wisdom of God and look at the, what this wisdom does for us and to us, okay? So in Luke 23, you can turn there. It's going to be up here on the screen too. We get a snapshot of the crucifixion of Jesus, the wisdom of God, and, and here's what we see. Verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. Verse 39, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, yelling at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed lead justly. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So you have Jesus, he's crucifying, he, he's being crucified, he's dying for the sins of the world. And you have these two men looking at the same picture. One man doesn't see Jesus. The other one sees Jesus as king. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Like the Lord of glory, he saw it. And that's what saved his life. Some of us see Jesus but don't really see him. Like the thief who mocked Jesus. And if that's you today, I want you to know that it's okay for you to start there but God's heart and our heart is for you not to stay there. Ask for help. Like I think about the man in Mark chapter nine and he just runs to Jesus and he says, help me with my unbelief. This is a prayer that God would love to answer. Pray and just ask God to help you with your unbelief. And for those of you who God has opened your eyes and he's saved you from your sin and you truly see Jesus and you have the wisdom of God, here's what I want you to know. Your lifestyle, your worship, your words, your works, your ways, should be so perplexing and radical to the people around you who do not yet know God. That your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends that are operating out of the wisdom of the world should look at your life and they should th look at and think the way that he lives, the ways that, that you give, the ways that you love, it's crazy. It's just insane, it's, it's radical. They shouldn't get your lifestyle. They should think that you're really weird. 
Paul is saying that when you really have your eyes opened up to the Lord of glory, it will change you in a radical way that people will look and be like, that person is weird. But there's a way that you can follow Jesus that doesn't make you feel weird. And it's really kind of like not following Jesus. Because <laughs> if we actually get it, if we're living like that, people are going to look and say, that's foolishness. Why would you give that amount of money? Why would you go there? Why would you help that person? They're not going to do anything for you because we have the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is what understanding the miracle of your salvation will produce in you. And guys, here's what I love about this passage today. All right, because I get to have like the privilege of, of an exciting announcement. Okay, we had an exciting announcement last week. We're just gonna see how many weeks we can go on and on for like exciting announcements. But we actually do have a really exciting announcement to make today that fits so well. And it didn't, we didn't plan it like this, but it fits so well with this passage of scripture. And it's, honestly, it's this announcement that makes no sense. It doesn't make sense unless you see the glory of God. So take a look at this video. <laughs> 